verses. Um, before we get into the next outline, I said something in the last session that I want to, um, oh, I don't know, prove to you or, or, or explain a little bit. <clears throat> we said something, I, 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 I think it's rather new, this thought that the virtues that we need, the human virtues that we need as the nutrients for the seed of the kingdom to grow in us, the nutrients actually are in our spirit and the soil in which the seed grows is the heart. It's a difficult point because I tried to explain it a little bit in the last session, but these are human virtues that are needed. It's all the virtues we just read in Second Peter 1, and they are what we need in our heart. But we said at the end of the last session that you won't find them in your heart. You'll find them in your spirit. Right. Well, I want to point out a couple of verses that show this, that just to... Just so you're clear that that's not wrong. <laughs> the first verse I want to give you is the section we just pray read. And let me point out something in Second Peter chapter 1 that might be not readily apparent. We, we really should start with verse 1. Verse 1 says, Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have been allotted faith, faith equally precious as ours. You know, the way the divine life came into us is we heard the word of God, right? And the word of God was the seed, the container, the conveyor of the divine life. And what the word of God brought into us was faith. Faith comes by hearing. We had no faith, but the word brought faith into us. And that faith was the seed that got planted into us. And according to these verses, in verse 1, it says the faith was allotted to us. Then when we come to verse 5, it says supply bountifully in your faith these virtues. In other words, inside this seed of faith, which is the divine seed, all of these virtues are there. It's wonderful, isn't it? So the way it works, and you say, well, that's nice. That's a nice teaching. Now let's talk about how it works. Um, if we go to Second Timothy chapter 1. Let's see how this faith operates. Uh, 2 Timothy 1, I'll read it to you. It's 6 and 7. For which cause I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of cowardice, but of power and of love 
and of sober-mindedness. God has not given us a spirit of cowardice, but of power, love, and sober-mindedness. And we, 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 we often say that in this verse, 2 Timothy 1.7, power, power is related to the will. Let's put power here in the will. And love is related to the emotions. And sober-mindedness is related to the mind. So Paul is talking about three virtues that are related to the three parts of man's soul, but he attributes them to man's spirit. Did Paul make a mistake? Is Paul, wait a minute, doesn't Paul know that man is tripartite? Is he a dichotomist? <laughs> I think he's pretty clear about the tripartite man. He's telling us how this works. When we exercise our spirit, what comes out is power to our will, sobriety to our mind, love to our emotions. Isn't that your experience? It's in our spirit, the love for the Lord, the love for the saints, the love for the brothers. It's not in our emotions. Or, or at the least we would have to say, What's in our emotions? Very, 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 very limited. It runs out quick. Um, but when we exercise our spirit, the love that is in our spirit, it's unlimited. It's unlimited. So I especially like this in relation to the will because we talked about the will in the last session. We are not talking, when I said we have the key and only we control the will, we're not talking about willpower. We're not talking about willpower. What we're saying is we control our choices. We control them and we control them 100%. We, are, we have 100% sovereign control over our own will and our own choice. And but that doesn't mean we have the power to fulfill our choices in our will. We don't. Uh, we've all experienced that. Uh, where does the power come from? It comes from our spirit. Amen. Okay, so let me use a very, very, very simple illustration. If I, want to, if I want to drive one of those cars in the parking lot, I have a couple options. I can get inside and have Ben push the car. That's one option. I'll sit in the car, Ben, you push it. That's not a very good option, is it? But what I need to do is I need to start the car. The starter, that's, that's like our will. That's the ignition switch. But the power isn't in the ignition switch. The power's in the engine. When I use the ignition switch, what happens is the engine gets activated. When the engine gets activated, the car moves really well. And when you try to use your willpower, you're pushing a car. No wonder it's so hard. 
And we've all tried it. Oh, I gotta love the brothers. <laughs> so I got 5,000 pound pushing. No, you can't do that. But we use our words, the ignition switch. We say, I love the brothers. You know that that's a choice. Loving the brothers is a choice. It's not a feeling. If it was a feeling, we're in trouble. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. I choose to love the brothers. I choose to love the Lord. But I don't have that love. It's okay. I just turned it on the switch. The love comes from the engine of my mingled spirit. You got, got, the, got the picture? Got the, the analogy? That's what Second Peter 1 is talking about. And let me mention one other verse from, <clears throat> from the last session that I thought of. And that is uh, in Hebrews chapter 4. It's talking about how the children of Israel were traveling in the wilderness. And it said they had the word announced to them. The word came to them. But some of them, it profited. And some of them, it did not profit. And the ones it profited, it says they were the ones who mixed the word with what? Faith. Faith. It means they exercise their spirit to receive the word. And then in that, that long account in Hebrews 4, one word is repeated three times. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That means when I hear the word of God, I choose. I choose. Let's see. Shall I harden my heart or not? That I control it. And a lot of times that choice is unconscious, unconscious, isn't it? We don't consciously say, I'm going to close my heart to this word. I'm going to harden my heart. We don't consciously say that, but we actually do choose whether to receive it or not. That's what I want you to remember. It's a choice. Everything's a choice. Receiving the word's a choice. <clears throat> Loving is a choice. Forgiving is a choice. You know what else is a choice? Exercising your spirit. You actually choose to do that. And you can't actually exercise your spirit without deciding to do so. And I say again, sometimes it happens very quickly. But if you think about it, if you really consider it, you never exercise your spirit without first exercising your will. It's a choice. Sometimes they're simultaneous, but, but you actually are choosing. Okay, I just wanted to, to, to mention those two points. Does that make the last session any clearer? I hope so. You know, on the one hand, what we're talking about is very, very simple. On the other hand, it's not that simple. When you really start to consider how this complicated human being works, it's a, it's a little tricky. Um, and we're going to 
In this outline, we're going to talk further along those lines. So <clears throat> let's get into this one. Uh, we're still, this really continues the thought of the last outline. The title is The Growth of the Divine Seed of the Kingdom in the Human Heart for God's Building. Or you could say, for God's Kingdom. His building is His Kingdom. So the seed is growing. The seed is the wonderful seed of God's life, which is also the seed of his kingdom because his kingdom is the totality of his life. And the soil for growing that seed is our heart. And in the last message, it said, it talked about the rate of growth. Did you notice that word? We don't determine whether the seed grows or not, but we do determine the rate. It's just like the human life. You can, you, can, <clears throat> you can help the human growth along by eating properly and eating well and exercising and resting. And that's the way the divine life works too. You can, you can help it grow better. You can help it grow normally. You actually can't speed it up. It has a speed that it grows at. You can't make it go faster. But you can inhibit it. You can stunt its growth. Just like the human life. You can't go, hey, you know what? I, I think I'm going to grow five inches this year. <laughs> Don't try. You can't do it. But just eat well. Get proper nourishment. Exercise. Rest. And you'll grow exactly how much you're supposed to grow. You will. And it, it, sometimes we're anxious, like it, it says in, 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 in Matthew 6, we're anxious about our growth. But our anxiety, to quote the Lord, doesn't add a cubit to our, to our growth. You can be as anxious as you like. I, when I was a young child... Maybe you're like this. My, my mother, believe it or not, my mother had nine children. And in our, in our kitchen, on the wall, there's all these pencil marks <laughs> on the wall. And every year we will stand there, and, and, and next to the pencil mark is a name. And then they put the pencil mark, and then they write mark, and then compare that to last year, see how much growth there was. Every year I was disappointed. <laughs> I was like, man, I want to be seven feet. <laughs> well, I wanted to play basketball. This, uh, this ruined my NBA career, by the way. Um, every year I was like, oh, man, that's it? That's kind of how we are with the divine life. We're, we're easily anxious and discouraged by our growth in life. Don't be. The divine life grows really, really well. You, you just need to cooperate a little bit. It, 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 it grows. It's powerful. And when it grows, wow, what comes out of that seed? Whew power, 
love, sobriety, diligence, love, brotherly love, all the virtues that are needed, they come out. So we determine not the growth, but the rate. And what we really want, we just want to grow normally. Normal's good enough. Normal's great, actually. We haven't hit normal yet. So as soon as we hit normal, it'll be great. We, we just, that's all we need. Okay? Okay, now let me read on. According to the Bible, growth equals building. You know, we talk a lot about the building and the building up of the body of Christ. Well, it's an organic building. I, 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 I'm pretty sure, I mean, I've kind of given up on the seven-foot goal. I'm pretty sure I'm never going to reach that. But how did I, how did I get this, this big? I grew. I grew. You know, I started out, believe it or not, I only weighed seven pounds. <laughs> how'd, I, how'd, I, how'd I get to where I am today? Well, I grew. And my growth was the building up of my physical body. And the building up of the body of Christ is our growth. When you grow and I grow, the body grows. So this is what the Bible tells us, particularly in Colossians 2 and Ephesians 4. And this takes place by the growth of the divine seed of life, the seed of the kingdom. And the place it takes place is in our human heart. So now we want to define the heart a little bit because we have actually have two hearts. We have a physical heart and a psychological heart, right? The physical heart pumps our blood through our circulatory system. I'm really glad we have one of those. And the psychological heart, though, we talk about all the time. We say, oh, so-and-so has a really good heart. We don't mean his heart is pumping blood well. <laughs> what we mean is his psychological heart is good. And so that's the heart we want to talk about now. Let's try to define the psychological heart. It's the conglomerate of man's inward parts, okay? We talked about that in the last session. It's the conglomerate of the conscience, which is a part of the spirit, and the mind, emotion, and will, which are a part of the soul. Those are man's inward parts. Um, and it's a conglomerate of, of those four parts. It's also man's chief representative, his acting agent. This is an important point. What kind of heart you have, that's what kind of person you are. That, that, that those, two, those two will never be different. Uh, your, your, your heart determines your person, also determines your actions, your actions. So I'll read quickly, our heart is a composition of all the parts of our soul, the mind, the emotion, and the will, plus one part of our spirit, the conscience. Okay, now B is important. 
our heart and its condition before God are organically, intrinsically, and inseparably related to the condition of our spirit, soul, and body. What does that mean? It means whatever happens in your heart happens in your whole being. Whatever affects your heart affects your whole being. You know, here when we draw the diagram on the board, we're dissecting the human being. But, but look, look around the room. This human being, this tripartite being, is an integrated organic entity. It's not dissected. So we all know whatever happens in any part of your heart, it affects every part, doesn't it? It's like using another illustration. It's like, it's like the, 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 the cogs in a machine, the interlocking cogs. When one moves, the whole machine moves. When any part of your heart is affected, all the parts are affected, and your body's affected, and your spirit's affected. This is the point. Have you got it? So when something happens in your conscience, we know it affects everything. It affects, it actually affects, when, when something happens in our conscience, it affects the fellowship, it affects the intuition, it affects the mind, it affects the emotion, it affects the will, even affects the body. Sometimes you feel physically Ugh. because there's a problem. So please pick up this point in this fellowship this afternoon. We are, we are, a, we are an integrated tripartite being. The body, soul, and spirit don't function separately. They don't operate independently. They operate as one Entity. Uh, this is a very important point in this message. Okay, now, following that, look at point B under number, uh, look at number one under point B. Let's read it. The exercise. Doesn't this answer a lot of questions? It does for me. Um, you know, we say, and we say correctly, that the divine life came into us with everything we need. Everything. All things pertaining to life and godliness, Second Peter 1 says. And we say, all we need to do is exercise our spirit. But sometimes people tell me, hey, in your message you said all we need to do is exercise my spirit, and I exercised my spirit, and it didn't work. Give me my money back. (laughs) Give me a refund on the retreat fee. Well, I never... I never promised a money-back guarantee. (laughs) But let me tell you, you're wrong. 
the reason the spirit didn't work was it's connected to your heart. And there was a problem in the heart. So the exercise of the spirit, you tried to turn the wheel, you tried to turn the cog, it got stuck. Why? There was a problem in the heart. So I like this point very, very much. Let me read it again. The exercise of the spirit works only when the heart is active. Don't you think this is a very, very important point for our experience? It explains a lot of problems. Explains, and it also explains a lot of good experiences. When the heart is, and notice here, it doesn't say when the heart is perfect. It says when the heart is active. In other words, we need to have an exercise, not only of our spirit, but an exercise of the heart. We need heart exercises. We, have, we need some body exercises. I'm a little short on those. We need some spirit exercises. And we need some heart exercises. We really do. We really do. Our heart needs to be active. We even use this kind of phrase sometimes. We say, I, you know, I, I did this thing, but my heart wasn't in it. You're right. You're right. Sometimes you said something in the meeting, but actually your heart wasn't in it. Your heart wasn't active. The heart and the spirit, this is my point. I, 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 I want to make sure you get this. The heart and the spirit, they absolutely act as one, not two. And we're kidding ourselves if we think we can have a normal and good exercise of our spirit when our heart is not active. It's, 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 not, it's not going to happen. And I believe we all have that experience. I don't think I need to convince you. But I love the next part. It says, well, let, let, me, let me finish with this not so positive part. If man's heart is indifferent. See, indifferent is the same as inactive. If it's indifferent, then it says the spirit is imprisoned within and unable to show forth its capability. What's the capability of your human spirit? Oh, you know what? It's a lot more than you think. It's a lot more than you think. It's actually unlimited. I think I, I did mention this last year here, but let me, let me just use this one point again to illustrate the capability of our spirit. Our spirit's capacity to pray, it's unlimited. That's why the Lord tells us to pray unceasingly. Did he command us to do something that cannot be done no. But you say, 
I can't pray unceasingly. Wrong. The capacity of your soul to pray is not unlimited, but the capacity of your spirit to pray is unlimited. And prayer is one of many, many, many capabilities of our human spirit. It's one of the main ones. It's actually one of the main functions of our human spirit. That's what we call the fellowship function of our human spirit. When we pray, we are exercising the fellowship function of our human spirit, which is a big, big function of our spirit. And how much capacity do we have for fellowship? It's unlimited. It's unlimited. And we don't believe that simply because we haven't experienced it. But I'm telling you, the divine seed in us, it's divine. Divine means, by definition, it's unlimited. It's unlimited. Okay, let's go on. Well, let me just say this one more time. The exercise of the spirit works only when the heart is active. Have you ever had any of the young people say to you, I called on the name of the Lord and nothing happened. You told me all I need to do is call on the name of the Lord. It didn't work. Now you, now you have the answer. The exercise of the spirit only works when the heart is there. Heart is there. That's why the Lord puts together in Matthew 5 the pure in heart and the poor in spirit. They, they, they always go together. Always, always go together. Now, number two says the soul is the person himself. So when we use the word soul, we're talking about the person, but the heart is the person in action. The heart is the acting agent of our entire being. You know, I know a family has two sons. And one of those sons is great, and the other one's terrible. And the parents are great. And it's like, what happened? And I care for both of them. And one day I was fellowshipping with another brother. I'm like, what is going on there? He said, yeah, he said, um, let's say it's Glenn and Ben. It's not. But he said, you know, Glenn, he just doesn't have the heart that Ben has. It's like they, they grew up in the same family. They had the same parents. They had the same everything. What's the variable? It's the heart. It's the heart. So that's why we say here, the heart's the person in action. It's the agent of our entire being. The activities and movements of our physical body depend on our physical heart. In like manner, our daily living, the way we act and behave, depends on what kind of psychological heart we have. I think it's clear. The heart is the entrance and the exit of life. The switch of life. If the heart is not right, 
life in the spirit is hindered and the law of life cannot work freely and without obstruction to reach every part of our being. Though life has great power, this great power is controlled by our small hearts. Really true, isn't it? We've got this dynamo, this, this unlimited source in our spirit. Now we use another example of electricity. We've got this power plant. Man, it's powerful. It's enough to power the tri-state area in the mid-Atlantic states. It's like a nuclear power plant. But it, it doesn't help us at all unless we turn on this little switch here so that we have light in this room. So the little switch controls the nuclear power plant. I don't think we have nuclear power here, do we? It's probably hydroelectric or something. But you get the point. A very, very, very great power is controlled by our small, small and who controls our heart? Yeah, we do. We do. We really do. We control it. Okay, let's go on. Now we're going to talk about what kind of heart we need. And... Um, what kind of heart will allow our spirit to function well and how to remove some of the, the, the difficulties. You know, last session we talked about the difficulties in our, in our heart, in the soil of our heart. And we said the very first step of dealing with any uh, difficulties is to open, right? Open our heart. Um, you could say that's like, and, and the ministry does say this, that's like digging in the soil. If there's some rocks, it requires some digging. If we're going to deal, what do we mean dealing with the heart? If we're going to deal with the rocks, we have to dig them out. And how do we do that? Not by looking for rocks, by introspection, but as we, as we contact the Lord and the light shines, it's usually not, I mean, let's be honest. Rocks aren't very hard to find. It's usually pretty obvious. In fact, we usually know even before we dig. We've got some hidden sins. We have some personal desires. We've got some rocks. Some of them are we already know. So what do we do? The ones we already know about, we just confess those. That's what we mean by dealing you know, the, the word confess, it means you say the same thing. When God says, you know, the reason the divine life isn't growing so well in you is 
you've got this worldly ambition to make millions of dollars. Well, what's to confess? You say, Lord, the reason the divine life isn't growing well in me is I have this worldly ambition to make millions of dollars. That's confession. And that's to call the rock a rock. Don't say, oh, no, 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 no. Don't you know, don't you know, Lord, in the ministry, it says. You quote the ministry to God. You know, in the, in the ministry and the life study of, of Genesis, it talks about the pillar builders. We're all supposed to get five PhDs, make millions of dollars and give them give it to the Lord's interest. That's what I'm doing. Oh, sure you are. <laughs> Don't do that. Say, Lord, I've got a rotten heart. He already knows that. That's what confession is. And uh, then we confess what we see. We can't confess what we don't see. Okay, so another, another, <coughs> another illustration. The retreat is over and the brothers say, we need to clean up this room before we leave the camp. Oh, we look around. A lot of stuff's obvious. There's a little speck. There's one. There's one. Some of it's just real obvious. Go pick all those up first. Then we open up all the blinds and the sun shines in and in the light we find out, oh, now I see some more. There's some dust, There's a lot of dust I didn't see before. It's based on what the Lord shows us in our time with him, in our contact with him in the light. So we're not looking for things, but we're removing any obstacles. And think of it like this. It's like any relationship. You come home from work and you see your wife. You say, hello, dear. And she goes, hmm. (laughs) And you go, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. What did I do? But I don't know what I did. So you say, Is everything all right? She said, no. So you say, well, can we talk about it? She says, yeah. (laughs) Then you just need to say, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm really, really sorry. I didn't know that I was doing that for the 986th time. I really didn't. What am I doing? I'm confessing. I'm removing a barrier to the fellowship. That's what we're talking about. But hey, praise the Lord. It's not always like that. Some days I come home, I say, hi, honey. She says, Hello, come here. Well, it's like this with the Lord. It's not, it's not always. He's not always saying. It's, it's not. He's not like 
waiting for you to come so he can go, ooh, look at that rock. Look at that rock. Look at, look at those swords. No. No, 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 no. He's only going to touch the rocks and the thorns when it's the right time. It's the right time. So when we talk about dealing with the heart, I hope we understand what we mean. In the Lord's light and in our contact with him, we confess the things that have become barriers to our fellowship with him. That's all. That's all we're talking about. And when we do that, our spirit starts to work real good. The fellowship starts to operate very well. Uh, because we've removed the obstacles. So here it says, I read it again, the heart is the entrance and exit of life, the switch of life. If the heart is not right, life and the spirit is hindered, and the law of life cannot work freely and without obstruction to reach every part of our being. Though life has great power, this great power is controlled by our small heart. Okay, I think we're clear about that. Now, let's talk about the proper heart. In order to live a holy life for the church life, the kingdom life, we need the Lord to establish our heart blameless in holiness. So that's a quote from 1 Thessalonians 3.13. Do you believe that the Lord can establish your heart blameless in holiness? See, no one said amen, because you don't believe it. I know you don't. Yeah, well, yeah, maybe, maybe someone else's, not mine. You don't know. You don't know my heart. Yeah, I do. It's exactly like mine. It's rotten. But can the Lord establish your heart blameless in holiness? Amen. Yes, He can. And yes, he will. This is his organic salvation. He will. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing in his organic salvation. He is transforming our soul. He is changing our hearts. Which is something we can't do, can we? We can want a change in our heart, but we can't change our heart can't do it. You can't perform surgery on your own heart. You know that, right? You can, but you'll die. Um, God is the unchanging one, but according to our natural birth, our heart is changeable, both in our relationship with others and with the Lord. Isn't that true? It's one of the really bad things about our heart. It changes really easy. It's like one day we say, oh man, I really like this person. And at the time you said it, you meant it. And the next day, you go, ah, I hate that guy. <laughs> and you meant that too. <laughs> how, did that, how did that happen? How did it happen? And, and in the spiritual thing, you know, the New Testament uses, and this should help us to explain some things we've seen in our, our time in the church life. The New Testament uses the example of Demas. Demas 
was a co-worker of the Apostle Paul. He is mentioned in a very positive way in the New Testament until the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy. He says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved the present age. He went to the world. It's like, no, a co-worker of the Apostle Paul is going to go to the world? It happened. And, you know, when I was young, I wondered this a lot. I said, wow, this brother helped me so much to see the vision of the recovery of the church life. And he left. So then I had question. Did he ever see it? And then I say, well, you had to see it. Because if he didn't see it, how did he help me see it? I was very confused. Let me tell you, it's real simple. When you turn your heart to the Lord, the veils are gone. The vision is clear. When you turn your heart away from the Lord, the veils come back. It's not that you never saw it. You did see it. But, and it's not even that you lost what you saw. No, you can't lose it. But your heart is going to control what's going on. If, if you allow the veil to come back by turning your heart away, you, it, it's as if you never saw it. That explains a lot, doesn't it? Don't let that happen to you. It doesn't have to happen. But here's the point. Our heart changes easily. And we need to know that about our heart. Then we can remember that we control what goes on in our heart. And we can turn our heart. You know, the heart can be turned. And who turns it? It's not the Lord who turns our heart, is it? It's we who turn our heart. It's we. Okay, let's go on. Uh, there is no one who according to his natural human life is steadfast in his heart because our heart changes so easily it is not at all trustworthy it's true isn't it I don't think do we really have to be convinced of that I mean if we do we just need a few more failures and we'll be totally convinced. That's why we get some failures. Let me read the verses from Jeremiah 17. The heart is deceitful above all things, and it is incurable. Yikes. When, if I go to the doctor and he says, there's a problem with your heart, and by the way, it's incurable... <laughs> I say, wow, okay, let me just get my uh, affairs in order. And then he says, who can know it? I, Jehovah, search the heart. That's who can know it. And test the inward parts. So the Lord Jehovah is the divine cardiologist. He will tell us, this one's incurable, don't worry. I do transplants. <laughs> I give new hearts. And the new heart that he gives actually is the transformed 
heart that loves the Lord. So don't worry, this diagnosis is not fatal, but you do have to realize what you are dealing with. You're dealing with something very, very deceitful. And then I love this verse, uh, Jeremiah 13, 23. Can the Cushite change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then you also may be able to do good who are accustomed to do evil. (laughs) That means we'll be able to do good in ourselves. The same time we'll be able to change the color of our skin, which is never. And the same time that the leopard can change the pattern of the spots on its body, never. So this is talking about our heart that has been corrupted by the fall, we know that we can't trust it. So here it says our heart is blamable because it is changeable. An unchanging heart is a blameless heart. Now, how about this? In God's salvation, the renewing of the heart is once for all. That's what Ezekiel 36 says, that he gives us a new heart. That's the spiritual fact. But in our experience, our heart is renewed continually because it is changeable. So that's what 2 Corinthians 4 says, that it's renewed day by day. So that means every day we have to, I say again, but to maintain the condition of our heart. Yes, once for all, we got a divine heart transplant. <laughs> Hallelujah. And you know, we, re- we really did. I-, I think most of us can testify, I surely can. One day, I did not love God, and I did not love God's people. The next day, I did. How is that possible? I got a transplant. I used to mock Christians. And then the next day I loved Christians. That's a heart transplant. But then I found out there's still a bunch of rotten stuff in my heart. So the experience of that renewing is, is continual daily. Because our heart is changeable, it needs to be renewed continually by the sanctifying spirit so that our heart can be established, built up, in the state of being holy, the state of being separated unto God, occupied by God, possessed by God, and saturated with God. That's what it means to be holy. It means to be separated unto God, occupied by God, possessed by God, and saturated with God. You know, when we talk about the heart, a big thing is, what is, we use this kind of word, what is, what is on your heart? What we're really saying is, what is your heart occupied with? And our heart has a limited capacity. If it's full, it's full. And that's often the problem. So, Okay, Roman numeral four, in order to be those who are being sanctified and living 
a holy life for the church life, the kingdom life, we must cooperate with the inner operating of the one who sanctifies by dealing with our heart. And we've already talked a little bit about how to deal with the heart. Now let's talk about the condition of the heart, which is, which is good. Number one, God wants our heart to be soft, so don't harden your heart, right? One important factor is the softness, or you could say the openness of our heart. When God deals with our heart, he takes away the heart of stone out of our flesh and gives us a heart of flesh, a soft heart, uh, of course, when we read Ezekiel 36, it says he already did that. But in our experience, we haven't entered into it yet. So here's a, here's a little secret about pray reading the word. When the Bible says that he gave us a new heart, we don't say, oh, no, I don't have that. No. No, you say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. You gave me a new heart. As we speak the divine facts, we enter more into the experience of those facts. Um, That's important. That's faith. Faith is, I, I agree with the divine facts. I don't agree with my present failure to enter into those facts. I know that God gave me a soft heart. Speak that. To be soft means that our heart is submissive and yielding toward the Lord. It's not stiff-necked and rebellious. And then going back to this morning, a soft heart is a heart that is not hardened by worldly traffic. Now, sometimes because we're not so cooperative, I don't think it's just me, so I'm saying we. God softens our heart by his first attempt to soften our heart is to move our heart by love. He's like a parent. A parent who has a child with a little hard heart, he doesn't beat the child, at least not immediately. (laughs) He may resort to that. But his first attempt is to move the child by love. And that's the way God is. He uses his love to move us. But if love cannot soften us, he uses his hand through the environment to discipline us until our heart is softened. Isn't that lovely? And we're always wondering why things happen to us. Oh, why does that happen? Am I being punished? No, you're not being punished. You're being loved. 
And if you think about your experience, and I can testify in my experience, when things happen in my environment to soften me, then when I look back, I realize I had a lot of chances before this circumstantial environment came along. The Lord was trying to get through quite often with his love. I, I have no, I can't, I have to justify the Lord. I can't accuse him. He never comes to me in the way of discipline before he came to me in love. Wouldn't you say the same thing? That, that's, that's who he is. Okay, number two, B, God wants our heart to be pure. A pure heart is not the same as a clean heart. A clean heart is a heart without defilement, a heart without sin. But a pure heart is a single heart. It's a heart that loves God and wants God besides God. It has no other love, inclination, or desire. Like it says in Psalm 73, Who do I have in heaven but you? And there's none on the earth that I desire beside you. So let me tell you what it means to deal with the heart. One day, Brother Watchman Nee was reading Psalm 73, and he had fallen, he was a human being, he had fallen in love. You know, human beings do that. And he was a believer in Christ, but he had fallen in love with an unbeliever. Say, ooh, watch my knee. You fell in love with an unbeliever. Does it happen? Sure it does. Sure it does. Let's not kid ourselves. And he came to the word of God. He read Psalm 73. And he had the perfect response. This is what we do when we encounter obstacles. He read, Who, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. And his prayer was, Lord, I can't pray this prayer. I can't pray this prayer that is in your word because I do love somebody on the earth beside you. Oh, how good. How good. And then the Lord had a way to work in his heart and to purify his heart. That's what we need to do. In other words, um, on this point of dealing with our heart, let me mention one other point and related to the way that Brother Nee dealt with his impurity in his heart. In the Gospels, there are a couple stories that are put together that illustrate this. There was a person whose daughter was sick, and he said to the, to the Lord, I think it was his daughter, he said, heal her if you can. And the Lord said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
I made a mistake. That's the second story. Let me do the first one first. <laughs> okay, I'm going to plead jet lag on this one. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Um, the first case was the rich young ruler. He came to the Lord. He said, Master, what must I do that I may inherit e eternal life? He said, just keep all the commandments. He said, oh, I, I did that. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> you did not. But this is what he said. He said, I, yeah, I've done that. I've done that from my youth. Well, the Lord didn't, he didn't dispute that. He said, okay, that's good. Only thing you have to do now is sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then it says, he went away sorrowing, sorrowing. What's the problem? He went away. The Lord knew he loved riches. The Lord could deal with that, but he went away. How can he deal with it if you go away? But that's, that's sometimes what we do. We say, we hear a message or we read a word in the Bible like, whom have I? I have none on the earth beside you. And you go, oh, yeah, that's not me. I guess I need to leave church life. It's not me. But then the man, another man came whose daughter was sick. He said, Lord, heal her if you can. And he said, why do you say if you can? All things are possible to him who believes. Then he prayed a very, very strange prayer. He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. What kind of prayer is that? Did he believe or not? It's really hard to say. Here's what he did. He exercised his spirit. He said, I believe. Lord, help my unbelief. In other words, Lord, release the faith that is in my spirit. I, I want to believe. I am willing to believe. I believe. <laughs> but I know that in myself I have no faith. Oh, what a great prayer. So what happened? He got it. Because he didn't go away. Don't go away when you say, oh, oh man, this outline, this outline says my heart has to be pure. I can't do that. Yeah, I know. That's why it's on the outline. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go away. Right. Say, Lord, I give my heart to you. There's nothing I want in this entire universe. Nothing but you. Then you say, Lord, purify my heart. Amen. It's not a contradiction. It's, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Amen. Lord, I love you above everything. Amen. Remove all the other loves from my heart. Amen. Have you got it? It's, it sounds like a contradiction. It's not a contradiction. It's a good prayer is what it is. Uh, <laughs> Okay, I better move on. God wants our heart to be pure. A pure heart is a heart that loves God and wants God. Besides God, it has no other love, inclination, or desire. 
our hearts should be single for God so that we are fearful of nothing except offending him and losing his presence. Our goal and aim should be God himself. We should not have any other motive. And we should pursue Christ with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Amen. Okay, see, God wants our heart to be loving. A loving heart is a heart in which the emotion loves God. Oh, I like this. Loves God. Wants God. Thirsts after God. Yearns for God. Having a personal, affectionate, private, and spiritual relationship with the Lord. That's Psalm 42. My my soul, my, my heart thirsts for God like the heart pants after the water books. Now, number two, we must turn our heart. There it is again. We must turn our heart. No one can do it. I can't turn your heart, but I can turn my heart. Now, Oh, gosh, I'm running out of time. I'm going to just finish up then. We must turn our heart back to the Lord again and again and have it continually renewed so that we may have a new and fresh love toward the Lord. When we turn our heart, we always discover the same thing. We do love the Lord. The reason we temporarily didn't feel that way is that our heart was turned away. As soon as we turn our heart to the Lord, we find out then there's all kinds of love there towards the Lord. It was, it was in our spirit of love. Now, three is important. All spiritual experiences start with love in the heart. If we do not love the Lord, it's impossible to receive any kind of spiritual experience. Very interesting. So like when the gospel comes and Christ is presented to you, before you receive Christ, first you need to desire Christ. You go, oh, I want that person. That means love in your heart was first. Then you received him into your spirit. And that, that was not only for your regeneration. That sets up the principle of all spiritual experiences that's why we practice when we pray we very often say oh Lord Jesus I love you why because that's where it starts because we love him we receive everything from him it has to start with our heart our love for the Lord qualifies perfects and equips us to speak for the Lord with his authority. If we love the Lord to the uttermost, we will be filled and overflowing with him. I put on here Psalm 45.1. I, I love that verse. It says, my, my heart is overflowing. And my tongue is the pen of a ready writer. I'm going to speak about the king. Amen. Yeah. Okay, then lastly, God wants our heart to be at peace. This is one we don't talk about as much. If our heart's not at peace, it, there's just no way.
for us to exercise our spirit to contact the Lord. A heart at, at peace is a heart in which the conscience is without offense, condemnation, or reproach. So a lack of peace in our heart almost always is related to our conscience. Not always, but I would say almost always. So for our heart to be at peace, our conscience needs to be without offense. If we confess our sins in the light of God's presence, we enjoy his forgiveness and his cleansing so that we may enjoy uninterrupted fellowship with God with a good conscience. The result of practicing fellowship with God in prayer is that we enjoy the peace of God, which is actually God as peace, mounting guard over our hearts and thoughts in Christ, keeping us calm and tranquil. That's in our relationship with the Lord and then in our relationship with each other. We need to let the peace of Christ arbitrate in our hearts by forgiving one another to put on the one new man. And I tell you again, forgiving is not a feeling. I don't have to feel like forgiving Glenn. I just have to decide that I'm forgiving him. It's not a feeling, it's a choice. And when I do that, when I say I'm making that choice, I don't have forgiveness. But when I choose that, I get forgiveness. It's how it works. Okay, let's read number five together. As our hearts... Okay, very good. I think that's clear. I'm sorry, I, I went over. I think maybe we still have a few minutes. Ben will tell us what we do next.